Last week, I was at the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in Canada. It uh, took place at Wilfrid Laurier University in Waterloo. And at that gathering, there's about somewhere around 350 people. Um, just under 300 of them uh, are delegates to the assembly who vote on matters around uh, that are of concern to the national denomination, the national church. Um, one of the best things about General Assembly is seeing people who you may not have seen in a while. So I saw people I went to seminary with um, and people that I've met over the years who are living in different parts of Canada um, that are connected to the Presbyterian Church in Canada. We're a relatively small denomination, so it's easy to go to one of those things and know quite a lot of people. Um, because once you've been to maybe two of them, uh, suddenly you know, you know 30 or 40 people or so. Um, who you're probably going to see again. Um, so it was great to see them, and of course, whenever you see someone you haven't seen in a while, they ask you, oh, how are you doing? What, what have you been up to lately? And so I got to tell people, well, I've just gone through an amalgamation. Um, and I would tell them when it happened, and they'd say, wow, that's really recent. And, uh, but often, people's reaction was kind of like this. I would say, well, we've just amalgamated uh, two congregations and now we're called Prairie Presbyterian Church. And they would go like this. Oh. Because amalgamations in our denomination are often when you've got two congregations that are struggling and can barely keep the doors open. And, uh, and we'll put them together and maybe they can struggle for another five or six more years. Or maybe they can struggle for ten more years or whatever it is. Often amalgamations amongst clergy uh, are seen as sort of the, uh, the beginning of the end um, for many of them. And so when I got that reaction, I would say, no, 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 it's good. Um, this is a good, good thing that we're doing. And it's led by the Spirit. It's something that we feel is in obedience to Christ and something that brought two congregations together to do something really good together. And yeah, there's challenges. We've got to work things out and, and we're trying to figure things out together. And, uh, and he said, well, so how's it going? And I said, well, worship seems good. Uh, you know, I, I think worship is going well. And the session is going well. Like we basically just put the elders together from both congregations, and they're getting along, and, and uh, that's going well. And I said, but we have a congregational meeting when I get back. So I don't know. I'll let you know in two weeks. If, uh, maybe it's all going to blow up. I don't know. Um, but really, I got to tell the story of what we've done and how quickly we've done it. Um, which blew people away. They couldn't believe how fast we had managed to do it. And then as I told the story of the, of the process of amalgamating, I realized how, how much God's grace was upon us. People's number one question, which I wasn't too surprised about, well, was there a minister in the other church? And how did that go? And I don't know if this really got shared here in the end, but there was a meeting of the inauguration committee back in January. And John Van Vliet came to that meeting and basically said, I, I think Matt is the minister of the future church. And we sat in silence for a minute. He said, well, does anyone disagree? And we kind of went around the table and talked about it. And, and, uh, and then that's how that got presented to the congregation. And there's lots of places where it becomes a real fight. It becomes a real fight about who's the, the minister going to be. Um, and, and I said, well, was there a music director in both churches, you know? And so I got to tell the story of going to, to Ashley, who's the music director of Trinity, and just saying, 
know, and that was just, how are you feeling about the amalgamation? And she said, I, I think it's great. I think it's what God wants us to do. It's the right direction for the church. And Evangeline is the music director. Again, in congregations, those would be fights. Those would be long processes of figuring it out and presbytery getting involved to sort of mediate uh, what's going to be the best solution. And people kind of taking the, the, you know, the lesser of two evils or whatever it is. Um, and we just have people of grace, you know, who, who offer that and, and, and discern that within their hearts. Um, and, and I think that's God's hand upon us, working through those people. And we ought to be thankful for that. Thankful for that process. Not just those two pieces, but, but throughout the whole thing. An openness to, to hearing the Holy Spirit. I mean, in the end, we have 93% in both congregations vote in favor of amalgamating. That's really rare, you should know. I mean, presbyteries would hope to get about 80%. And that's pretty solid. We can go with that. They'd worry if it was under that. 93 is really good. So I got to tell this story, and I told it, you know, I got used to telling it really quickly, and I realized, oh, I love my church. I love the church where I minister. This is great. What we're doing is, is, is wonderful. It's challenging, but it's joyful at the same time. And we're coming together, and part of that coming together is to figure out how do we build a new home and not just for us, which is another really great part of the story, but, but how do we do this in partnership with others? Like, there's a new Arabic church who's meeting at Five Men University Crescent. There are up to about 40 people already in January. There's a small Korean church that's renting at White Ridge Baptist Church that we're hoping we're going to be in partnership with them as well. They're actually currently kind of deciding, well, would it be a full partnership? Would we be all in, or would we wait and see what happens and, and maybe rent it? So, I don't know, but there are church full partners for sure, and maybe the Korean church, that would be great. And not just that, but there's an amazing neighborhood in Southwest Winnipeg where there's, where there's not much activity in, church, in terms of churches. And there's a great need in certain parts of public space, of gathering space, different kinds of space. So, coming together and pulling all of this off is really challenging. But it's joyful at the same time. And, and I think sometimes we need to reflect on it being challenging. I think we need to uh, reflect on this to remind ourselves that it's worth it. Yeah, okay, it's hard. Not everything's clear. We're not going to have everything figured out now. Hopefully things will get more clear as we continue to walk. And it's hard living with that uncertainty. It's hard worshiping at 9.15 when we want to be at 10 o'clock. And it's hard trying to figure out when we're going to move and all of that stuff. It's good to reflect on it being hard. Because it reminds us that it's worth it. It's worth the challenge. The thing is, though, I'm not sure the early followers of Jesus reflected on their challenge. And they had a real challenge before them. But they also had good news to share. And it was good news that nobody had yet heard. And they were propelled out of a relatively safe life and into the unknown. And I actually think they were happy about being propelled into that unknown. 
They welcome the opportunity, even though they may have been ill-equipped for it. They welcome the opportunity to go out in Jesus' name because they were so connected to the life-changing good news that they received. And that's how we need to be as well. It's not that we shouldn't acknowledge that there's challenges, but we ought to be joyful in entering into that unknown because we have this wonderful good news within us that we carry around. The early followers were given a vision. They were given a dream that was planted in them, born of the Holy Spirit. The day of Pentecost is not at all about having a good strategic plan. I don't know if you noticed that. Although good plans can be very helpful. But Pentecost celebrates the movement of the Holy Spirit. It is the birth of the church, and it's dramatic, isn't it? I mean, we, we'd probably not come back to church if that really if that had happened to us, right? Like, maybe we would, but we'd be scared by what happened. All at once, I mean, there's the fire and there's the wind, but there's also this, this language and, and all of these different languages going on. But all at once, the church, notice what the church is by the time Pentecost is over. The church is multilingual, multicultural. Peter quotes a passage from the prophet Joel to explain what is happening. In that passage, in that passage, it makes it clear that the church is multi-generational. The young and the old see visions. In that passage, it makes a point of naming women as well as men as receiving the Spirit. And I don't know if you have read much of the Bible, but lots of times it actually doesn't make it explicit that it's men and women. Uh, it'll be men sort of in an inclusive kind of term. But in this passage, it makes a point of saying, well, you know, women are going to see visions and they're going to prophesy too. I keep marveling at how we have this great opportunity in Canada and in Winnipeg to mirror this early church of many languages, races, and ages. God has led us together to each other to have a more full expression of the church. I'm particularly struck that in the quoted passage from Joel, as the Spirit is poured out, it is both old and young who see visions and dreams. We, we sometimes have this stereotype that it's the young who have big dreams and are idealistic, while those who are older tend to be more pragmatic. But on Pentecost, we are taught that the Spirit does not discriminate in the giving of dreams and visions. We find out that the dream of the Spirit is also far bigger than any person would have dared to dream. The Spirit is poured out on all people of all walks of life, all genders, all cultures, all languages, and all ages. They are given a dream to dream, but the dream is from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one who renews God's people. The Spirit shows up, and the Spirit takes action. See, we can dream our own dreams. We can have our own ideas, big or small, whether they're for the church or for our own lives or for our workplaces, wherever. We can, we can have those things, and they may or may not come to pass. Now, even if they do come to pass, they don't truly fulfill our own desires. don't truly fulfill us. See, we can live in a visionary kind of way. We can... We can sort of have, have a, a dream for what our future might hold. And then we either have to deal with failure and disappointment and it not happening. Or, and perhaps more challenging, is we sometimes have to deal with stunning success 
and the disillusionment that comes from that success not fulfilled. When they're our own dreams and not the spirit's dreams. Now we can live that way, but we can also live a life where nothing really changes. We can live a life where we can continue to be regretful about the past or disappointed in the present or discouraged at the way things are. We can live a life where uh, everything is fine, uh, where everything is okay, where church is good and it's okay, where family is managing and getting along. Or we can live a life alive by the Spirit. In the scriptures, we read of the Spirit of God moving and acting, and the people then coming alive with kingdom-building activity. It's not their own vision, it's the Spirit's vision. Now, we could shy away with the challenge placed before us, or we can let ourselves be moved by the Spirit of God. Now, Prairie, we're going to be working toward building a new home, a new facility. And some of you might find yourselves in different places when you start to think about this stuff. Some of you might think, well, the church is basically fine how it is, you know, like we're renting here and then we're going to move and, and, and that'll be good. We should just be together as a church for a while and not really focus on this big stuff for later. Maybe later we can do that. But now we just need to get to know one another. We need to be a community. We need to be the church together. And, and renting is okay. Some of you might be in that. In that place. Some of you might be in a totally other place saying, well, three years, come on, like, let's get going. When are we going to get our building? When are we going to have a real church to call our own? And all of these sentiments, all of these ways of thinking are actually focusing on ourselves and not the Spirit. Here's where we need to shift our thinking. The first sentiment, we just need to be the church for a while. We just need to know one another. The value here is that we, together, are our church. Our life as a small community of believers is the highest priority. That actually is a very high priority, as is welcoming new people in, as is discipleship, as is education. But as I look at Jesus' ministry, I don't see him playing priorities off against one another. He called his first disciples to follow, and, and when they followed him, what happened is off they all went into the world to do mission and ministry together. Out there. Not simply to be the group of twelve together. Well, let's get to know each other for two years, and then maybe we'll do something. And as his earthly ministry came to a close, Jesus commissioned his followers. Matthew 28, the very end of that gospel, we get the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Notice how comprehensive that commission is. Sometimes we think of it very narrowly, but even down to the ministry of Christ's presence with his followers at the end. See, that, that commission is a going out into the world, but it's also got, it's got these pieces in there. Make disciples baptizing, teaching people to obey what's been commanded. And then there's the presence and the fellowship of Jesus with his current followers. I'm really glad those 12 obeyed their commission. Or we would have no church to fellowship in. And there's plenty of people out there right now who have nowhere to experience the love and communion of fellowship with Jesus. And we have that to show them. 
On Pentecost, 120 disciples were gathered together, and the Spirit showed up. The Spirit showed up not to strengthen their community of 120, but so that the mighty acts of God could be proclaimed more broadly through them. The Spirit took over, but the disciples also responded to the Spirit. And did their response strengthen their community? Absolutely it did. But was that the Spirit's main goal? Kind of. The church grew from 120 to 3,000 in a day. I can almost guarantee you that changed how potluck suppers were done. <laughs> was it strengthened? Well, it was certainly different. They'd have to do community differently, for sure. Now, the disciples, the, the, the inner circle, they likely grew a lot closer to each other in their leadership of this movement of God because suddenly they had a lot of work to do together. So you can actually make an argument that the best way to come together as a community is to work together in ministry and mission, especially to work on a project that is beyond our abilities. And it's tempting to think that this is within our abilities. It's tempting to say that if we just all pull together, we can do this. But I'm not sure that's right. It might be more right to say that together our faith will grow by leaps and bounds as God does this through us. Because at every turn, we'll just have to keep saying, well, I can't believe how God's doing that. Because we're really incapable of, of accomplishing this. And just look at our amalgamation process. I mean, really, could we have planned that? Could we have planned the way that was going to go? I, I don't think so. It's really a question of whether God is calling us to do this together, to, to come together as a community, getting to know one another in the process and in the life of worshiping God. Is, is this all directed by God's Spirit? And are we just following God? I don't know about you, but that's what it feels like to me. Someone asked me, when I was telling this, this story of our nomination, they asked, well, how do you know that, that what direction God is leading. How do you know that that's God leading? And my first thought, and kind of just blurted it out without thinking, was, well, there's no way I'd be going this direction if it was up to me. The only reason I'm favor, in favor of doing this is because I believe that God's directed it. The only reason I, I'm leading in this way is because I believe that I'm not leading. I believe Jesus is leading, and we're following together. It's interesting to look at the pieces that God has already aligned to, to even make where we are now a reality. And then I don't know, it's just me because I'm, I'm someone who likes to think about the future, but, it, but it's, it's interesting for me to think, well, I wonder what God is going to do to, to put us where we're going to be in two years, or in five years, or in 30 years. Now, there's this second sentiment that you may have is, well, when are we going to get our own building? Or when are we going to have a real church? And the first thing I want to say to you is we already are a real church. Christ and his people, that's the church. And we're that already. And the second thing is listen to this language. When are we going to get our own building? When are we going to get? That actually isn't particularly Christian language. 
How about this question instead? When are we going to give a building to a community? See, we could see our future building um, as ours for our worship services, for our comfort, for our spiritual growth, for our weddings, and for our funerals, and for us having a growing church. Wouldn't it be great if we had a nice growing church for us? Or we could see a future building and the ministry that is carried out within it as a gift to others. Mostly to people and future generations who we don't even know. And that would be just like Christians to do something like that. Working hard, sacrificing in order to bless others and not ourselves. Imagine if we saw a future building as grace for other people. We're never going to get our own building. We will build a facility and a home, but it isn't really ours, at least not in the sense many of us might think. I think facility is a helpful word because it teaches us that the building is meant to facilitate something, and that something is the mission and ministry of Christ. It's not ministry to ourselves, to our own people. It is ministry primarily to those who are not us. The building will belong to God, and it will belong to whatever neighborhood it is situated in. We will be stewards of the building, the same way we are stewards of the money and the possessions that God gives us, using them for God's glory and for God's purpose. I think home is also another helpful word. We will feel at home there. It will be our home, in a sense, but it will also be the home for others. It will be a refuge for us and for our congregation, but also for congregations who are not us. Our prayer is that it will be a, a, a home for people in the neighborhood as well. We can say it's our home, but I hesitate to call it our building because it sounds like then our goal is to build a structure that we own and that we can be proud of and we can look back on all the work we did and aren't we wanted. I'm interested in a facility that is home for us and home for others. It's interesting to think as well about this new place being a home for future generations. I was in Montreal a couple of weeks ago at an event where uh, Peter Coots, who's a minister in Calgary, was speaking. And one phrase stuck with me out of, out of what he taught that week, and it was this, every congregation is a steward of its own future. It's interesting. Every congregation is a steward of its own future. So, what is it that we're passing on to the kids who are here and to the kids who aren't here, who will one day be in this church? What is it that we're passing on to two generations from now, who are not even born? Every congregation is a steward of its own future. Now, I had a bunch of slides that I was going to show, but I feel like I've been talking about so, um, I'm going to look and see. And my suspicion is correct. So, we're going to have to skip them all. Um, and uh, so, sorry, Dave, but you, you're going to run through as fast as you can and don't pay attention to them. Um, and if we want, we can come back in the meeting or we'll come back at another time in a few weeks or sometime uh, in the fall or something like that. We'll have to. Um, because I want to say a couple more things. Um, and actually, just go back to the very last slide that had something on it. So just, Trinity had done a, a campaign last year that we called uh, God's People, God's House. And this is our theme verse. And 
the session of prayer, I still thinks this is a great theme verse and a great way to think about uh, working, working ahead on this building, um, calling this God's people, God's house. So you'll hear a lot more uh, September and October, um, but we wanted to kind of give you a bit of a preview today as well. Um, we need to be in this together. And I think there's a few things that you can do. The first thing is trust in God. So yeah, we're in this together, but it's God's activity. And the best way I know how to do that is to pray. We encourage people to pray four minutes a day. If you pray four minutes a day for anything and do it every single day, that comes up to about 24 hours in one year. It's a little bit more than that. So if you want to pray for a whole day, it's four minutes a day for you. And so I encourage you to think about praying about this for four minutes a day, and, and let's, let's start doing that. My hope, too, is that we're going to provide opportunities to get together simply to pray about uh, our direction, our, our building, and what's going to happen with it. The next thing we need you to do is to trust one another. So trust in God, but then also trust one another, especially the leadership of the congregation. We need two-way communication going on. Lots of times there's only one, lots of times there's one-way communication. And then sometimes there's sort of, well, there's, you know, rumblings of, there's poor communication. Um, so that, we actually need to make sure that there's communication going back and forth. And I think the leadership really do want to hear from people in the congregation. So talk to elders, talk to people who are on uh, committees, if you're not one of the people on the committees, or talk to me. Um, two teams are being pulled together right now. Um, there's a stewardship team that's looking at building fund campaign, and they've already become, begun a meeting. Um, that's uh, Sheila Anderson, Mary Grafston, and uh, Leela Sheer Sharon, and myself. And uh, so we're looking into the fall where we vote most of, most of the work we're going to do. Um, but again, those are good people to talk to uh, about, uh, about stewardship. Um, the other group is a building planning group, and that's just in the process of being put together. They'll begin meetings soon, and that's really just around the actual building itself, um, planning around that and the process for doing that. Um, these groups need your trust, and we are entrusting them with a fair amount of responsibility. Um, and we need to be open to, to letting them do their work and letting the Spirit work through them. Um, one of the things we're going to do is try to get representation from uh, the potential partners on those teams. So we're able to, to work together from the onset and not just have this sort of, well, there's us and then we've got to have uh, two or three conversations. Uh, in the fall, so trust God, trust each other. In the fall, uh, we're going to be asking people to uh, make a pledge to the building campaign or to renew your pledge. There's lots of people in our congregation who've already made pledges. So we'll have a time of renewal for that. Um, in the meantime, you're welcome anytime to give to the building fund. Um, there's already money in there, and you can do so through your offering envelopes. There's also pledge cards that we used last year. We, we basically just sort of redid them quickly um, to make them uh, Prairie Presbyterian Church. Um, and if you do want to make a pledge or you have questions about that and you want to say, well, I'm ready to pledge something now and I want to do that, you can do that anytime. Um, that we're happy to do that, and someone good to talk to about that would be Mary, who had most of the experience. Mary's there with a hand up. 
Um, so we, we encourage you to do that. We also need you to be involved um, in ministry. And most of you likely won't be directly involved with the planning of process around buildings and money and all of that kind of thing. But we need people involved in the life of the church. I mean, this is what it's all about. It's not really, in the end, it's not about this building. It's about the life of the congregation and the life of the church and what we're doing in ministry and mission together. Now, not only ministry either is churchy. Sometimes we think, oh, that's, you know, bringing baking or that's volunteering. Lots of lay ministry is you out in the world with people who are in need of Christ's love and Christ's care. It's visiting with a friend in the coffee shop and listening to them. We need you to be doing that, too. We don't need you to just, don't, you know, if it, we don't need you just to volunteer on committees and things like that. Uh, you know, I, I learned about someone, uh, or he's not here today, who volunteers at palliative care. And we need people to be doing that kind of stuff. We need to be supporting and encouraging people because that is the ministry of lay people. Out there in the world, sharing Christ's love with the world in need. We need that. So those are a few things that you can do to be involved in the life of this congregation and the direction of the movement. 